0: This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help on this, in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, like always, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe is the best way to get to really know the guest. This week's guest is a woman by the name of Kristen Harold's daughter. She is a former NCAA national champion in Rowan Division I coach, PhD in exercise physiology, and co-host of the Humbled podcast, which we will jump into um, quite a bit. Kristen's story of becoming great at something, looking to share that joy with someone else, and searching for another challenging outlet is a common evolution of the retired athlete. Kristen speaks eloquently to her experience stepping away from her sport from the athlete, Coach and research perspective. The battling of trying to find the same challenge and camaraderie she had as an athlete, her research to find better solutions for athlete recovery and wellness, and her hopes for the listeners and athletes on the Humbled podcast. So, Kristen, welcome to the show. And what you're doing is super cool, but we'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, a bit more about you and how you ended up here.
1: Thanks, Ken. No, this is really awesome. Super excited to be here um, and get to chat with you about it. Um, I can give you a little bit of background just on myself. You, that was a pretty good intro on me. There's not much more to say, I guess, but I, um, I, I've, I've mentioned this a bit on my podcast, but I think it's important because it's so relatable. Uh, in high school, I got asked to go to a rowing practice by my uh, neighbor's mom who didn't feel like driving her daughter at 5 a.m. anymore. And so I uh, went and just fortuitously ended up at this practice that ended up kind of changing the course of my life, I think. Uh, I was just talking to my mom about it and how weird little decisions like that can change the basically the, where you're headed in life. And I immediately just got really good at rowing. Um, you know, I was 16 years old and started winning uh, – Regional championships and then making it to the national championships and then going to the henley women's regatta and winning that and all of a sudden I was on the radar of college coaches um, I had been hoping to like go to the college of the atlantic or like oberlin and kind of go more of like a uh, Like a hippie vibe with my life. Like that's what I was (laughs) that's, That's like what I was envisioning for myself um, like I wore a lot of thai fisherman pants and tie dyed my own stuff Um, but I ended up getting recruited to Princeton and couldn't say no, uh, not that I should have, but you know, it, it was, a. I just kept making instinctual decisions because, you know, I look back at it now I'm, I'm in my thirties. I look back at being 18 years old and being told I can go to Princeton and go row for a division one team. And, you know, of I was being told I was super good at something and being celebrated for that. So, of course, I went for it. You know, it felt good. It made me feel like I was somebody. Um, And so I did it. I went for four years. We won NCAAs uh, in 2006. Uh, Over half the women in that boat ended up being Olympians themselves. Um, And then I went on and graduated in 2008 with kind of every intention of you know, retiring from the athlete world and going into some sort of job, you know, like as an athlete, I wanted to climb the next ladder. Um, I had done that in rowing and I was ready to do that in like the corporate world and then, you know, find my place in business and become super successful there. But I did graduate in 2008, um, which was a pretty bad year to get a job. And so I ended up actually working at Equinox in New York City uh, as a personal trainer, because that's kind of what I knew. I, unfortunately, when I was at Princeton, I focused a bit too much on rowing and maybe a little less on school than I should have. Um, also, I think that's relatable in these conversations that I have. Uh, with athletes. And I ended up actually uh, taking a job at Princeton um, with the rowing team. Um, And I spent three years there as an assistant coach. And we went on to win a national championship there and Ivy League titles um, every single year I was there. So that was very cool. Um, But in my third year coaching, I realized I was missing something. I kind of had like I had this feeling in the back of my mind that I had missed some sort of step in understanding why I was doing what I was doing, why I was still in rowing four years after I retired myself, like why was I unable to leave this? And then how, if I did want to stay, could I be a better coach? Um, So I went and actually uh, got into graduate school at the University of Wisconsin. I got into a two-year master's program in, in kinesiology Um, and I wanted to focus on exercise physiology. And I was the grad assistant at UW. And kind of long story short, because this short answer is getting really long, I ended up leaving the coaching position I had and staying on for six years, (laughs) ended up with a master's and a PhD where I studied both athletes, um, doing fitness testing on them and looking at various aspects of recovery and performance, and then also using exercise as a tool to study disease. Um, I then went on to get a postdoc at Yale because, again, there's just this trend that I'm starting to notice now. Uh, I just kept chasing the next impressive, fancy thing so I could feel like I was climbing some sort of mountain that was worthy. And I went out there, immediately realized it was a mistake. It was a nuclear cardiology, super great lab, but I just, it wasn't my passion. I wasn't doing what I wanted. So Erin um, kafaro she's a two-time Olympic gold medalist. And I started chatting on the phone about our mutual challenges after we retired. And she, of course, made it way farther than I did. But we both had this common sense that after we left the rowing world, we just didn't feel like we had this sense of purpose and couldn't quite find our place. If you look at our resumes, it looks like we did have it all figured out, but really we were struggling. So we started the Humbled podcast, uh, really just by calling up people that we knew that were impressive athletes. Uh, we had Dr. Lisa Post, the sports psychologist at Stanford for Stanford Athletics, on last season, and and we just started talking about this idea of athlete transition and what it's actually like, what it looks like when it goes well, when it goes poorly you know, just, just talking through it. And it was so interesting and really led me to leave my postdoc, move across the country, kind of start actually figuring out what I'm really passionate about rather than trying to do impressive things. So that's like the long and short of it.
0: So you're, you're in the mode right now of helping other people do impressive things, right? I think, (laughs) I think it's the evolution of what's happening. And I think as an athlete and have been there and actually struggled with, you know, what you guys talk about on your podcast, We'll just jump into that a second, but it's, it's a hard thing of what you're, what you think you're supposed to do, what you want to do and what society thinks you should do. And it's, you know, there's three different pieces to that. Talk to us a bit about that whole identity piece and the humble podcast and and where that where that came from and making that transition.
1: Yeah. So I transitioned to talking more wholly about athlete identity in season two. Um, And what this concept is, athlete identity sounds a little bit dry and maybe a little hokey to some to some people. But really, it's you know, we all have an identity. We identify usually with some of the things that we spend most of our time doing. And um, for athletes, a lot of athletes start their sport when they're young, their children, five, six years old sometimes. And even in cases like mine or, or most rowers, you don't start till you're a teenager. It becomes such a big part of who you are. And it gets really a little bit interesting because there's, you can break it down into intrinsic and extrinsic, Athlete identity. So, on the the most surface level, intrinsically is I identify as Kristen the rower. It is important to me that that is who I am. It's important to me that that's where I spend most of my time, my resources. That that's what I care about. It's important to me. And then there's extrinsic athlete identity where. Other people see me as Kristen the Rower. Other people identify me as that person who's very good at her sport. And that's also super important to me that others see me that way. And so it's interesting because now I'm at the University of Wisconsin um, doing some part-time research here, actually looking at this question and looking at, uh, I'm working with um, Dr. Drew Watson, um, looking at what psychological impacts this can have both during the time that you're still an athlete and then kind of long term. So years, decades after you retire, what sort of lasting impact it had on you that you were an athlete, that you no longer are an athlete, and then how important it sometimes is why you are no longer an athlete. So for example, if you had to Um, stop identifying as an athlete because you suffered a career-ending injury, you know, or if something kind of catastrophic happened or, you know, just kind of starting to tease this out.
0: Interesting stuff. No, and I think that's the, you know, those are, in hearing what you're talking about, and, and I'm sure it's different, or is it different for college athletes versus Olympic athletes versus professional athletes? So
1: no, that's, that's a, it's a really good question. And I was surprised to find that it is actually, there's just about no correlation with how far you took your sport. So for example, if you stopped after your JV team, your junior year of high school, if that was really important to you, if that was, if you developed a strong identity as a soccer player and you're in high school and then you never maybe you played some club soccer later versus if you went to 3 Olympics there's actually it doesn't really matter how far you took your sport and how strong your athlete identity is and what kind of lasting impact it can have on your psychology, your mental health, your well-being, your sense of worth. It actually is more tied up with how strongly you identified as an athlete.
0: And that's, you know, and and I think that's probably becoming even more and more of an issue because everyone's just becoming so specialized, right, of just being, you know, overall, okay, I'm an athlete, I'm a four-sport athlete, blah, 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 and now it's time to move on versus being a rower or being a ski racer or being a soccer player or or, or whatever because now sports are becoming 24-7, you know, one season, one sport, and one season being a year. or four four years, right, now in college or whatever it is. Um, You know, talk to us a little bit about that. You know, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So, super interesting. I was just sitting in yesterday with Dr. Watson. He does a ton of research here, and this is like hot off the presses. It's not published yet, but looking at sports specialization and the impact that having a season or career-ending injury has on Mental health, well-being, quality of life, and um, so we know that sport specialization is not great, particularly when you're talking about younger and younger populations. So the younger you get, the more encourage, the more we encourage that you don't have kids specialize, that you really let them. Both from a physiological standpoint, so like um, fewer trips to physical therapy, fewer injuries, but also psychologically. Um, And what what you see in, mm, let's see, older adolescent or younger college-age athletes, if they specialize, or the more highly they've specialized in a sport, the greater detriment it has on their mental health, if anything is disrupted in their ability to participate. So it's really this, um, I think, you know, and we're still, this is part of what we're really, working on actually studying is the higher you identify as an athlete the more important that is to who you are the more trouble you're going to have if it ever gets taken away from you your ability to participate in the sport
0: and talk to us about trouble do they you know is it you know anxiety is it depression is it moving in you know drug use talk to alcohol use or yeah, talk, you know, I think that's probably the major question right there.
1: Yeah. So that's, I think it's a tricky question. I don't, so I can, I'll tell you what I know. And then, um, <laughs> I'll tell you what I know. I know Perfect. I sound like such a boring scientist. I'm like, no. um, but it's so anxiety and depression. Yes. So what we look at is quality of sleep. We look at quality of life, which is a pretty holistic measure, kind of a rough measure. We look at mood, We look at, we are starting to look at anxiety, depression, PTSD, acute stress syndrome, which is kind of a step back from PTSD. And um, yeah, there, those are all related to what we're talking about, you know, worse outcomes and all of those are associated with um, risk of, or, or I should say, they're also the higher your athlete identity or the higher your... Um Specialization in sport you know i i'm, I'm this is kind of broad strokes here um, uh, those are correlated with one another, so worse outcomes the more highly specialized you are, the more highly you identify as an athlete when it comes to alcohol use drug use um, there is some evidence uh, you know <laughs> it's kind of a tricky spot because. Um, participation in sport in younger people is correlated with less alcohol and drug use, so more healthy behaviors are exhibited in those kids. However, it's a really interesting question, and, and you know, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence, and I, I have to be honest, I don't know much about it in the literature. You're making me think I should, um, but you know, like Chris Heron out in Massachusetts, who has been really vocal about. Um, his own drug abuse and alcohol abuse. Um, he was he was a baseball player and uh, now runs a uh, rehab center or a recovery center out in Massachusetts and talks about how this is a prevalent issue in athletes who either suffer injuries or are suffering from anxiety and depression. So um, it's definitely an important issue to talk about.
0: No, and I can only imagine, right? And it's it's making that transition. What you know? What advice would you give to people that are making that transition, right? You know, on your podcast and the studies that you've done. What about making that transition from athlete to so-called real world, right? And who knows what the real world is? I don't know what the real world is for me either. It's you know, yeah. I still don't know what. I want to do and I'm 46 but um, with that being said it's hey let's go down this road this may make sense may may not make sense Um, I think you know more and more people are also saying that it doesn't really matter right it's don't don't put this stress on yourself that our parents generation is no longer the way the work generation that that we're in anymore it's a totally different world so talk to us about making that transition and and what you suggest you do or don't do, or, you know, just sort of, you know, giving, I don't know, is it advice or is it yeah, probably advice, I guess, is the best way to put it?
1: Well, uh, again, here's, I'll tell you what I know and he, I'll tell you what I've heard and what we're seeing works. So first of all, talk to people. One of the things you're taught as an athlete and it's drilled into you is that, you know, you're rewarded for toughness. You're rewarded for grit. You're rewarded for being um, completely focused and ignoring the pain and not complaining. And I think those are all great. I think I think sometimes they're mistakenly thought of as resilience. But I actually think that we're going to find that resilience comes with some humility and stopping. You know, stop. We need to stop associating humility as a as a bad thing because it's it's really what we're finding is athletes that participate in um, small groups while they're athletes, unfortunately, that's usually only offered to injured athletes. But you know, if they're in small group settings of some sort of uh, cognitive behavioral psychology or one-on-one sessions with sports psychologists, or just being really open with their teammates and talking about feelings and emotions and worries and anxieties, actually just communicating these things and starting to be able to identify your emotions. I can tell you, Ken, in so many of the conversations I've had on the podcast with Olympic medalists, they are just, you know, they're maybe a decade out from retiring. They they are just now starting to understand what their emotions are. You know, they're they're just starting to understand and assign feelings that they're having to emotions and it's because they were trained as athletes to put it all in a box and hide it for later that's not a problem you want to deal with right now and you know my hope would be that we're able to figure out ways that performance is enhanced based on being able to uh, talk about your feelings your emotions and actually start to understand how you're doing and then react accordingly Rather than just wait a decade, two decades to actually start unpacking some of your stuff. Um, And then another thing that, you know, it's really interesting. So, Brianna Scurry uh, told me this advice, and a couple people have mentioned it since then, but she really sticks out in my mind because, you know, she was the U.S. women's soccer goalie for mm, 15 years or so, uh, 10 to 15 years, and she suffered a, a career ending, devastating traumatic brain injury in a, in a, match in 2010. And she uh, went through a really, really tough time after she abruptly transitioned, right? She did not plan that. And she stresses the importance of continuing, you know, as athletes, you're used to training every single day. And sometimes when you transition, you start thinking, oh, you know, now I'll just, you know, do really light workouts. Or sometimes you go no workouts at all. Some people go the opposite and just go nuts but she's stressed every single day continuing to move your body because and and she's actually she didn't mention it but that's there's a lot of science in there because we're really used to the um, brain chemicals that are released in in response to exercise and I don't think we're there yet in really understanding um, how important that is and and how maybe that is related to our psychology but continuing to stay in touch with moving your body uh, sweating every single day um, so those are two things that I feel really comfortable suggesting people do. Uh, so while you're an athlete, before you transition, talk, talk to people, identify your emotions, your moods, how you're feeling. If you're not feeling good, tell somebody and, you know, really just start to voice these things that give you anxiety before you're out of that environment of having support resources. Cause a lot of times you lose them when you stop being an athlete, especially a college athlete. And then the second one: keep moving your body uh, when you're, particularly when you're going through the transition. keep Keep in touch with uh, being an athlete physically, at least a little bit every day.
0: No, and that's and I think that's key, right? And as we become where this podcast name is Executive Athletes, it's a lot of people that still love to train and race and compete after their sport and. I think that's what keeps a lot of the people in balance it's yes you know you're done with college but hey go try something new right try CrossFit try you know go do something or if you enjoy your sport that you've retired from just keep doing it and you know and and allow it as an opportunity to give back or go try something new I think you know I knew you know four or five years ago I just you know I kept pushing the limits and adventure racing and going longer and harder and blah 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 and then my wife convinced me to go to CrossFit, and I went there and it was the most humbling experience ever. It went from you know winning all these different events I would go into all of a sudden, like given a uh, pVc pipe and i can 't even do an overhead squat with that it was and but it was it was freeing, it was awesome, it was amazing to just go become become something new again and Same. yep, and I had that experience too,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but I think that's you know, so many people are afraid to to do that, and I think that 's really. Like you said, sort of the grit and the resilience that's been taught in, into us has almost become vulnerability and openness now, right? I think you, you can't do that anymore. You can't hold those emotions within you because those will take you out more than actually talking about it or being vulnerable about it or saying, hey, you know what? This is what I used to do, but now what I'm doing now and, 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 and really try to teach people how to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you ask me, I think that we are – we have yet to tap into a resource that we have, which is mental toughness and not thinking about mental toughness from the, I'm able to not feel feelings, but actually being able to figure out when to access your feelings. You know, there's a time and a place to be, you know, one track minded. You don't want to be on the pool deck at the Olympics uh, about to swim your final and the gold medals on the line, having a panic attack, right? You want to, you want to have done the work, to understand how to regulate your emotions, how to address your emotions, um, I, I do think it'll. I, I do think it'll bleed into performance, and I think you know, you you look at the women who are running rise athletes and others who are working on mental, um, like the mental component of performance. I think we have so much more to learn and do to really figure out how we can become better performers in the athlete space while also developing, well, I think it actually bleeds into us developing as humans who do something else in addition.
0: Well, and you look at modern medicine, and modern medicine is really only thirty years old, right? Is really what it is. The internet is really only ten years old because before Facebook and LinkedIn and everything, it was just static web pages. It was just, right. you know, magazines and catalogs. Is really right. what it was. I think we're we're at the beginning of all this stuff, and you know, in performance and human performance, again, I think with AI and with supercomputers and everything else, it's going to be, you know we're just at the beginning of the potential of what people can actually do yes. right and yes. and really go and i think it's you know it's more than just being a hard-headed person that's going to go out there and do it it's going to be you're tapping into sort of the the mental part of it right the the brain mind body connection i think that's where things are really going to start happening um, if not already happening right i'm sure there's you know if you look at halo and you look at all these different devices that are that are really starting to spring up. Maybe it's, maybe it's hokey science or maybe it's real science who knows where it's going to go. But I think that's what, that's what's sort of fascinating. And that's what's sort of fun with what's happening.
1: Um, oh yeah.
0: performance.
1: You know, there's like, there's brain health and there's mental health and they're both kind of, for me, I've never been, uh, I was not a brain physiologist, but they were kind of the black box to me. But I actually think they're, um, given the fact that we know so little it's incredibly exciting to think what is to come
0: no it is right and i think and then it's going to draw the gray area of what's doping what's not doping performance enhancement not performance yeah. enhancement you know it's it it's sort of it's almost getting you know it's getting crazy yeah um, old school epo and blood doping are going to be you know gone of the dark ages it's going to be you know, who knows, right? Genetic manipulation, brain manipulation of everything. But that's really the engine behind all of this stuff.
1: Yes. No, I I totally agree. I think we have, you know, there's an interesting study that just came out a couple months ago um, about athletes who have, it's a correlation only study, like the first of its kind, I think, with just 10 or 11 um, subjects, they had had recurrent injuries in one leg. And they showed that on the contralateral side of the brain, so the side of the brain that controls that leg, they had atrophy. And so that just starts to open up just millions of questions in my head and I'm sure so many others of like, what actually are we, you know, are we, when we're treating injuries, are we treating just the symptoms? Um, And when we're treating athletes who are having a hard time, are we, you know, are we really not digging deep enough?
0: No, and that's exactly it. I think that's, and it's, again, I've got two kids who are young athletes and it's, it's interesting to see, right, of what they're doing and how they're handling it. And, you know, I'm probably screwing them up as much as I screw (laughs) myself up, but it's, it's one of those things that's like, Hey, you know, you got to learn to win. You got to learn to lose. You got to learn to, to be humbled as well. And I think that's the other piece that we've gotten away from. It's, Hey, everyone's on the same field and everyone gets medals. And that's, that's not helping anyone either because I think that's, it allows people to say, Hey, you know, I'm pissed off. I suck today. But in order for me to, you know, to do better next time, I have to, you know, get my shit together. Right. And I yeah. think it's that those are the learning sides of it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was just talking about this with somebody. I don't, I would never discourage sports actually in kids or anybody. And I think one part that's super important about the human experience is going through hard things. So I don't know, I don't know that you can ever take away any of the hard stuff, but we can figure out ways to deal with the hard stuff um, in a better way that actually sets you up to have a better future. It's, I think it's good to go through hard times. I really do. I think it's something that we shouldn't take away from people. Uh, yeah, that of course not, <laughs> that's not a sweeping statement, but, um, but yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's important for kids to learn this stuff, but then it's also important for us, the grownups who are responsible for helping to figure out better ways to deal with it once it happens.
0: No, a hundred percent. Right. And I think it's, um, it, again, it's, that sort of uncharted territory as well, right? Of you know, where do you go from there, and, and 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 how you do that as parents. And I think that's a whole other discussion of of what we can and can't do that are out there. And hopefully, we're making our right decisions. But you know, I think generationally, I was watching a TV show last night, and someone was saying, "I wish I was normal," and the other woman, mm-hmm. you know, they were talking to, says, "None of us are normal." So once you mm-hmm. sort of realize that. And Warren Miller, the skier, and I said this in other podcasts, a producer says, hey, you're, you're unique just like everyone else, right? So right. It's, right. And it's so true because, yes, we are unique, but everyone else is unique as well. So you sort of have to think of it that way too.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I, um, I agree, and I think that the way to hopefully get buy-in from people who don't want to hear about athlete emotions, because I get that too, part of the fun is being tough and, and gritty, is if we can actually tie a performance component to this, if we can find ways to actually improve performance, then I think more people can get excited about this
0: mhm no exactly <laughs> and and that's it right you know the grit if and, and the grit does work it's uh, it's going out in the train in the crummy weather when it's twenty yeah. degrees and pouring rain when it should be snowing and being in you know in, in events and races when the weather sucks, but you got to realize in order to you know, those are opportunities for you to excel when most other people are already, they've already lost the race and you can just start. And I think those are some of the things that, that work really well for, you know, for individuals and for athletes. So talk to us about where people can find you. We're coming up here towards the end. You know, where's the humbled podcast? Talk, Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So you can find the humbled podcast anywhere. Um, I think, you know, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you download your normal podcasts. Um, we have a website, humbledpodcast.com, uh, where you can find all our episodes um, and info about that. And then, of course, we're on Instagram at humbledpodcast. And then I'm my name is really hard to spell, um, but I'm also around. Um, you can always shoot me an email if you have any physiology questions or anything about the podcast. I'm just Kristen at humbledpodcast.com.
0: Perfect. And I'll put that in um, the show notes when I send everything around. So Kristen, this is awesome. I really appreciate it. Hopefully when this is taped, the coronavirus is going like crazy. So hopefully it's over by the time you listen to this. But Um, it is and a that wild time. And that everyone's not sitting in their house, um, not doing anything or commuting anywhere. But yep. um, get out there, make sure it happens. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email me at kentheexecutiveathletes.com and make sure you subscribe to, uh, to the podcast. So, again, Kristen, this is awesome. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Ken.